Did you know Echoplex has a 24-hour stream? That's right. Check out our 24-7 music stream at echoplexmedia.com live or at eplex.xyz. Our huge self-submitted local music library plays the best tunes the Bay Area has to offer, ad and commercial free, well, except for ours, and even by request. Check out the player on echoplexmedia.com or at eplex.xyz. Bookmark it and enjoy it all day. Echoplex is very supportive of our local music scene, and we hope you enjoy the soundtrack they've so graciously sent in for us to play on our network. If you like who you hear, please go check them out. The names of the artists are displayed on the player at echoplexmedia.com and at eplex.xyz. It's about you, you, you. Echoplex Media, boo.
Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Um, you can find this as a podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Do follow this on your favorite podcatcher. A um, couple quick announcements. Um, one, we're moving into a new studio, so give us money. You can go to streamlabs.com slash echoplexmedia. Donate directly there. Uh, if you're following or watching on Twitch, bits, subs, uh, all those things help, of course, and um, patreon.com slash echoplex for recurring donations. You get goodies over there, though we need to th- start thinking about offering even more goodies over there. We'll work on that. And um, <clears throat> otherwise, just go to echoplexmedia.com slash support, and you can find other things you can do for the show. I'm producer Dave. You can find me mostly on Grinder. Operators are standing by, please give generously uh this is the councilman you can find me at the underscore councilman on twitter and as always you can find me here at 7 30 p.m pacific every tuesday night or most tuesday nights when uh, producer dave and i are feeling the itch to get into the local derp um and that's pretty much every week uh, and hoping we can uh, take a little tour producer dave in the uh, near future uh the, the good wife and i have been on a little political vacation lately and uh, we've found that issues be the same no matter where you go there be nimbies everywhere um, there'd be like, you know, people pissed off about parking and traffic and homeless people and crimes just about everywhere. So, uh, we're going to examine, um, how that works in uh, other regions as well in the near future here, just a little teaser, um, for future down ballot, uh, listeners and for current down ballot listeners and watchers. Thank you all for joining us. And, uh, let's jump into the docket unless you have anything else to drop on us. Uh, obviously stay tuned for local love after the show tonight yeah we got Carpuscle on tonight it's a metal band out of redwood city and it'll be one of our last inter- live interviews uh in the studio so in or, in this studio or in, 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 in the studio the, period in the campbell studio yeah oh wild! this this is like a momentous month i'm, I'm just i'm very excited for your your uh your new environs for the new move but i'm also sad uh, because uh, you're moving out of the studio where I first got to know uh, the Echoplex, so and first became well, a. You're ex- a you're excited because you don't have to move all this shit anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Honest, uh, and and then that's more timing than anything else. Um, the good wife will tell you that I'm certainly down to pitch in just about any time, no matter what. You only have to you know give me like a burger or something, or maybe a slice of pizza, and I'll help out. <laughs> um, but timing wise, right now, yeah, things are sh- shit's happening. Um, I'm I'm knee deep in painting and and sanding and just general preparation it's it's a mess over here well let's get to the our stories for the week because we do have a a full sheet of paper here so what's what do we got for leading off well uh as folks know uh the supreme court said you can you can't do abortions no more um unless the states let you um and since there's a whole bunch of states in the south and around the gulf of mexico specifically uh that are going to be banning the abortion stuff um some doctors have decided that fuck it we're taking this shit on a boat (laughs) 
Tonight, we've learned that a Bay Area doctor and professor is making some waves with a new idea to expand abortion access for states where abortions are banned or limited. She tells us she's planning to take a boat along the Gulf of Mexico and provide reproductive care for patients in states there. NBC Bay Area's Alyssa Gord spoke with her this evening. So, Alyssa, why does she think showing up the studio again will reach more people? Well, That's exactly what our studio is going to look like. Pointed out that for people in southern parts of states like Texas and Louisiana with restrictive abortion rules, they're actually closer to the coast than to nearby states with more abortion access. A boat ride, this doctor says, takes less time and money than a flight. It is my life's work. As an OBGYN, Dr. Meg Autry has performed abortions for decades. When Roe versus Wade was overturned, it jump-started a vision she'd been working on, bringing abortion services to people who can't access them on the water. The idea or the concept is that the vessel will be in federal waters, which the distance from shore varies by which state that you're near. Um, and there will be various ways of uh, transportation to the vessel, um, depending on the distance. Autry says she and a team of licensed providers will travel by ship through the Gulf of Mexico and offer abortions up to 14 weeks. They'd also offer other services you'd see at reproductive health clinics, like treatments for STIs, all at little or no cost. The project's being funded um, with philanthropy. Um, and the patient care is on a needs uh, basis. Over the years, we've talked about things like boats uh, out in federal waters, you know, past the five mile line. So I'm not surprised about it. It's welcomed news for Bay Area Planned Parenthood chapters who have also been preparing for a post row world for a while now. They say out of state demand at California clinics has actually been up for months already due to policies in other states. I think people are going to be as creative as possible. The people that have the uh, funds are getting on planes and flying. We're seeing other people drive here. Abortion providers are looking for ways to help low-income folks, people of color, and other marginalized groups. For Dr. Autry to carry out her plans for that, she does need to secure a ship first. Once they have that, she says they'll put the captain, crew, and medical team aboard and set sail. So this provides access for those patients um, that they wouldn't otherwise have. And Dr. Autry and her team maintain that this is legal in federal waters. Still, they expect legal challenges every step of the way. So her team has tapped some lawyers as they continue with this voyage. In the newsroom, I'm Alyssa Gord, NBC Bay Area News. So she doesn't have the ship or the crew or anything. She just has the, the, the idea. Sometimes, Producer Dave, that's all it takes is an idea and some good people. But yeah, it's it's not really happening yet. Uh, would you get an abortion on a boat? I mean, if I needed one, sure. Uh, certainly, I I I think that uh, uh, unfortunately, women are going to have to uh, explore all of their options um, in the near and uh, distant future because I don't see this uh, decision, this rescission, you know, being overturned anytime soon. I don't see any way to enshrine it in the constitution without a vote of like two thirds of the states and that'll never happen. So it's, it's, we're looking at a split country on this issue for a long time. Um, 
and it's interesting you hear when you hear people talk about states' rights on this issue, it sounds very familiar, right? Um, uh, our our great national scourge. So um, this is just another one, um, but we shall see. Um, as as of now, California and Santa Clara County are refuges. Ref, <laughs> refuges. At least two people uh, are dead. Safe spaces. So uh, safe spaces for uh, women and and their reproductive rights. So come to California if you can. If you can't, hopefully there's a boat near you. Um, and if you don't live near the water um, and you live in a restrictive state, so like Missouri, I guess, or Oklahoma, you're probably SOL for a little while, um, unless you can travel. So <clears throat> not for nothing, I just hope Scientology doesn't offer up their boat. Come to Clearwater. <clears throat> We're a safe haven. Well, they, it'll probably be illegal there, but they'd be like, "We got this boat. Yeah, we'll 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 take care of your healthcare needs. That's 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 the ticket. That's the ticket. Enjoy the and yeah, enjoy your reproductive healthcare needs. Stay for the interactive uh, seminar. Stay for and the maybe- like. Stay for the entire rest of the journey during which you can scrub the floor with a toothbrush. An unlimited chicken buffet. Just chicken, though. Just chicken. <clears throat> Fried, fried chicken, roasted chicken, and grilled chicken, but just chicken. No, no sides, no dessert, just the chicken. No potato salad, not even potato salad with raisins. No, not even coleslaw, dude. No, just Ooh. just the. If you, if you want fried chicken, that's fine, but you have to just. It's just the chicken. Ooh, also no raisins in your fucking coleslaw, everybody. Come on, quit getting creative. Yeah, who puts raisins in their coleslaw? That's just gross. It's like people who simple. are basic. Well, coleslaw is very basic. It should it should be at least you know it's very simple. It's cabbage and carrots and celery if you really want a little crunch, but mostly cabbage and carrots and like a little bit of uh, dressing, a little vinegar, a little whiskey. So we're going to move on to winners and losers. We actually have a lot of stories in winners and losers this week. We may end up skipping one, but I like all of them. But what I want to tell everybody is that in winners and losers, there really are no winners unless you were rooting for somebody. And they're probably not who's going to win in winners and losers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, g- generally not. Um, and if you are rooting for them, they're probably a loser anyway. But that doesn't make you a loser necessarily. So, but I, I feel bad that I laughed when I saw this story that we're going to play next because it's not really that funny. But um, maybe I'll just let the story roll and see if uh, other people, if see if people think it's wrong that I laughed about this story. Okay, let's roll it. At least two people are dead following a series of robberies today at Southern California's 7-Eleven stores. Police say at least three of the six robberies are linked to each other. Law enforcement officials have released a surveillance photo of the suspect wanted in connection with the robberies. A store clerk was fatally shot at a store in Brea that's in Orange County. And in Santa Ana, a customer was shot to death in the parking lot. There were also robberies in La Habra, Ontario, Upland and Riverside, where another customer was shot. The victim suffered life-threatening injuries. The crimes occurred on July 11th, or 7-11 day. The fact that it is 7-Eleven and uh, there are 7-Elevens obviously being targeted today, uh, that's something that uh, uh, they, they could potentially be looking into. The company says it is working with local law enforcement. They could potentially <laughs> be looking into that, Producer Dave. Potentially that's, that's a connection between these crimes. That's why, I, I mean, that's why, I mean, I know it's fucked up. Like, I shouldn't think this, is, I shouldn't think it's funny, right? Like, it's not funny. It's it's more just, I guess, funny. Haha. It's funny. Sad. You know. It's it's 
it's one of those things where uh, someone's taken something a little bit too far, obviously. Um, it's one thing to like not go roll over a bunch of 7-Elevens on 7-Eleven day. Maybe, maybe there's some reason. Maybe they found out that the, that 7-Elevens are stocked, you know, flush with cash on 7-Eleven day because it's so busy, right? Because it's 7-Eleven day and they have all sorts of like deals going on. Um, but more than likely, uh, this is just someone being, being cute and also just trying to, you know, um, trying to make a buck. Um, and unfortunately brought a gun to the knife party and, <laughs> Uh, a few people are going to be not with us anymore. So, so I think if you were going to knock over one of these places, Seven Eleven day is a good day to do it because it's fucking chaos in there. When I went in there, I didn't know it was Seven Eleven day. And there were like 25 people in the Seven Eleven all getting a free Slurpee. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm not used to more than like three people or four people in my convenience stores at any one time. So 25 people in a Seven Eleven, that's like a party. The uh, the cashier hooked me up though because they noticed I wasn't there to get a free Slurpee. So they when I they just looked at me and then pointed over to the other register kind of discreetly, and I just kind of walked over to the other uh, the second register. They rung me up real quick, and uh, it's like I got, when they I got out of there. When the clerks walk down the big line, they'd be like, "Is anyone paying with cash? Is anyone paying with cash? <laughs> I can take whoever's paying with cash." And everyone's just like, "Fuck!" If I was only paying, is with anyone cash. buying anything at all? Is anyone anyone buying something? <laughs> Are you purchasing something? Uh, yeah. So, uh, heart goes out obviously to the to the victims and the people who were harmed by this. Um, but uh, obviously, there's a crime criminal out there who has a sense of humor or things they do. Um, so hopefully they get caught and they get to pay for their crime. Um, and uh, yeah, they're absolutely all connected. When they listed off, the reporter listed off the cities that were involved. Those are all like Orange County, Riverside County. It's it's not, it would not be surprising if they were all connected in some way, right? It'd or be not the same maybe not person. all of them, but like they're not all completely discreet, right? Well, well, more, I mean, maybe, maybe more to the point, either just two criminals or two people had the same idea at the same time right or there's a syndicate going on here and there's some person a little bit higher who's directing traffic right um and telling people to go out and do these crimes so i blame uh, i blame I, george soros <laughs> did you were you aware when you went to 7-eleven on 7-eleven day one were you aware it was 7-eleven day did it occur to you and then no. two and then two this is yesterday right so then and then two did you know about this crime spree going on at i did not know because i would have known it was 7-eleven day yeah, so um, I would have been a little freaked out if I'd heard about this like on Seven Eleven Day. Honestly, if I would have had to wait for all those people to like, I don't know what process you go through to get your free Slurpee. If I would have had to wait for all those people, there would have been there might have been a there might have been an added crime in Campbell, but it would have just been petty theft of three energy drinks and a fountain beverage. <laughs> I would hope that if I mean Seven Eleven is a national franchise, right? So I, I would hope that they have a plan you know, a, a, a triage plan for Seven Eleven day. If they're offering free Slurpees, there should be a free Slurpee line. Like you just, that you line up, Hey, this is my free Slurpee. And then there's some sort of stamp that they put on your hand, right? Like at, a, at the club so that you can't get another free Slurpee at the next Seven Eleven. right? They check your hand at the next one. <laughs> it's funny. You could tell the guy was annoyed because he, as he's ringing me up, he's like, no free Slurpee. You don't want that like, free you, Coke Slurpee? You, you poor soul it's like 90 degrees outside you're giving away free slurpees oh you poor man right well they they're the dumbasses who had their anniversary date or their 7-eleven date in july i mean they could have gone with like 11-7 it could have been like a or 7-eleven like british style it could have been a, a november 7th right a little colder less slurpees to give away 
That's true. So we've been following this story of Theranos, and the story is primarily focused on Elizabeth Holmes. But uh, one of the things in her defense is she was suggesting that Sonny Balwani sort of was exerting undue uh, influence over her and her decisions at um, at Theranos, which I don't think people really bought. Um, but he right. was also charged with crimes because he was involved in the fraud that was Theranos. And, um, well, he was convicted of fraud. And here's well, the local news head about it. Well, 12 counts of fraud, 12 guilty verdicts. A federal jury in San Jose convicted former Theranos president Sonny Balwani on all counts today. The verdict comes six mm. months after his ex-girlfriend and former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes was found guilty on four counts of fraud. Balwani oh, sat stone-faced as the verdicts were read and made no comment after he left court afterwards. The jury sided with the prosecution saying he defrauded investors and patients with faulty blood testing technology. His attorneys later released a statement saying they were, quote, disappointed in the verdict and may consider an appeal. <laughs> He's set to be sentenced in mid-November, and court watchers say it's clear this jury believes he was calling the shots at the now-defunct Palo Alto company. When it came to things like the harm that Theranos could have caused patients, that was far more a result of operational decisions that were made at Theranos rather than executive and strategic decisions. Sonny Balwani was ultimately the person making those calls. NBC Barry Scott Budman joins us now. You were in court for both the Elizabeth Holmes and the Sonny Balwani trial. It's been months of your life this year. Uh, big difference here. Sonny Balwani convicted on all counts. Elizabeth Holmes basically faced the same charges, only convicted on four. Right. Why, why was that? You know, it's hard to say, but basically the jury, when they did speak after the Elizabeth Holmes trial, said they thought she lied, and we heard evidence that she lied to investors, and that's fraud. But there was a buffer between Elizabeth Holmes and the patients. One of the causes, uh, at least four of the charges, were defrauding patients. Mm -hmm. That buffer turned out to be Sonny Balwani. So the jury said, yes, Balwani was also in on it with Holmes. Conspiracy to defraud investors. They also nailed him for defrauding the patients. And that was a big difference. Right. She was not convicted on defrauding patients, right. but investors. Okay. Big difference also. He did not testify. Elizabeth Holmes did. Do you think that hurt him? I think it may have hurt him, but it may have been a situation where he just was not going to be helped at all. Mm. We knew because we covered Elizabeth Holmes pre-trial. She was very charismatic. She was able to get all these people to give her money. And she was a very good witness. And she was. And I think she convinced the jury, at least in some ways, to let her off the hook on some of those counts. Sonny Balwani, I never met him before. On the Theranos events, he was never put mm. forward. It was always Elizabeth Holmes. So we don't know what kind of a person he was. Then we read some of the journalism that was done by Wall Street Journal reporters and the documentaries that came out that all said he was the heavy. Nobody liked him. And people did testify in this very trial that he was the heavy, even abusive, as Elizabeth Holmes said. So if he took the stand, would that have come across? Who knows? But we have to say he paid attorneys 
a lot of money to make that decision. They decided we're not going to hear from him. So we don't really know what would have happened. Okay, and it's not over yet. The sentencing comes later this year. Right. Elizabeth Holmes will be sentenced in September. Balwani sentencing set for November. And there are still likely appeals to come. Okay, thanks, Scott Budman. And our coverage on the Theranos trial continues online. We've posted the verdict form, which goes into great detail. I think maybe the jury for Elizabeth Holmes said, you know... We're going to have to give you some credit because you ripped off Henry fucking Kissinger. And that's, I mean, that's pretty based. Uh, I think you've got very simple uh, trope playing out here. And it's it's sexism. Uh, it's sexism on two fronts, right? First, it's why is Elizabeth Holmes a better witness? Why is Elizabeth Holmes getting off on some of these charges? Why is she able to talk the jury um, into you know, uh, being a little more lenient on her. Uh, it's not necessarily simply because she's really, you know, a good smooth talker and, and very, very charismatic. There's also the fact that she's a blonde woman, white woman. Um, and there's a sympathy factor there that's based on sexism. The same reason, Sonny, uh, no matter how complicit he was in all of this, is going to be seen as the big bad guy, is going to be seen as the, the older man who, uh, you know, manipulated the, especially the man of color, who manipulated the young uh, blonde lady um, into do, you know, doing bad things to, uh, to good people. Um, so it was really his fault. It was really big bad man. Um, and for that very reason as well, that's why his lawyers and attorneys wouldn't let him uh, you know, testify, because it wouldn't, like I said, it wouldn't help him at all, right? It may not hurt but it could only hurt. There's no way that him testifying helps at all because there's just no way he's going to come across as, across as a sympathetic character in this story. Um, and that's just the way of the world. So the, uh, this, so, this, the sexism at play here, the misogyny is, well, she couldn't have possibly been really in charge. Right. Exactly. 100%. Exactly. Um, and so she's benefiting. She benefits from that. And he unfortunately loses out. So he's frankly, the, they're all losers, but he's the big loser here because one, you know, you don't get in bed with the white lady, with the white blonde lady. Don't get in bed with Karen. You, you got, you're going to expect, you have to expect to get screwed sooner or later, right? You're going to get screwed. Um, but, <laughs> but who's doing the screwing? Uh, and yeah, two, once you do, you go down that path. Like that's, that's where you're going to be. And so it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's kind of a, uh, the tech bro world, right? Kind of biting this guy in the ass, right? Because no one's going to believe that this blonde nice young blonde lady was calling all the shots at a especially at a tech company god forbid a woman in charge of a tech company i just really hope it's that they were the jury was like you know what anybody who rips off henry kissinger is a friend of mine <laughs> i just I, I, I think we we can we can get to we should get one of the juries on we can we can ask for an interview we can get them on and see if that was the case I, i'd be willing to bet that that's that played a factor in it i mean who wouldn't want to rip off henry kissinger at the end of the day right <laughs> It's like we're li the, the jurors were living vicariously through Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, considering um, his considering his body count, you can't really rip him off bad enough that it like gives him what he deserves. You know, it's a pity. It's a shame that I don't believe in hell. You know. Yeah, I know very much so. There's 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 certain places there's certain people who belong in those cold dark places. Um, and remember, hell hell is a cold dark place. It's not a hot place. It's very very it's cold. Just unfortunate right. in this scenario, it looks like Elizabeth Holmes and not Henry Kissinger is going to go to one of those places. Yes. <sighs> Yes, but Henry Kissinger will pay his, you know, pay his time in, in eternity, right? He'll he'll pay for his crimes. I uh, wish I believed that. Dante does. Dante does. So let's let's hope. Let's hope. All right. Well, um, speaking of people that deserve to go to hell, there's these people.
Yeah, well, not this guy. Richmond police and they say this all started with a phone call this morning about a broken window at a Richmond school. But when officers stepped inside, what they saw was that the damage was much more extensive. Holy shit. The aftermath of what Richmond yeah. police are calling an act of vandalism. At <laughs> you don't say. Furniture, um, paints, the vending machine. That guy's name is um, awesome. For a cop. Refrigerators thrown over as well. The images are stunning. You can see the shattered glass at almost every turn. A staff room completely ransacked with school Dude. supplies thrown across the floor. And a school Dude. community wondering why anyone would do this in the first place. Parents and families are are, are concerned, as they should be, um, you know, that schools are safe, safe havens. And um, we are doing everything in our power to, to ensure that they continue to be safe places for, for students to learn. Ryan Phillips is a spokesperson for the West Contra Costa Unified School District. He tells me that two additional schools in Richmond's Iron Triangle were also vandalized over the weekend, including Nystrom Elementary. Police say a local charter school near the Richmond Marina was also vandalized. A school official says the impact goes well beyond the physical damage that was done. When these types of acts of violence come into the space that they consider safe, it does alter their idea of what school provides them. Not only that education, but that sense of safety. Police tell me that these incidents may be connected to a specific group of juveniles, but are still investigating. They also tell me the motive is unclear at this time and are asking the public for any help to track down those responsible for this damage. In Richmond, Pete Serratos, NBC Bay Area News. Holy shit, man. <clears throat> yeah, d don't fuck with the teacher's supplies. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, it's, it's like, and you saw it, right? There were like tablets still there and like, you know, computers that they left behind. They could easily have swiped, right? But they left them and they just, it's obviously kids. Um, they just, you know, probably white kids too, because they didn't need, see any value in stealing any of the shit, right? They just made a fucking mess. They made a mess, they threw a tantrum, and they moved on. And it's like the staff room? For God's sake, bro. <laughs> Have some fucking respect. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a son of a teacher. I'm just, I mean, just doing this at all is just, it, you know, I don't care who it was or what they believe their motivation was. I'd almost feel bet. I'd almost feel less bad about it if it was like a theft. Because maybe somebody was trying to get their material needs met or whatever, and they sure. just didn't know how to pick a target or something. Sure, sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I could totally understand even like a you know parents or families getting together and stealing a bunch of like you know laptops and gear that they can't get for their kids because it's either too expensive, right, or the district won't supply it to them or whatever. I could totally see that and get down with that. This is obviously just vandalism, just people coming in and making a fucking mess, right? They didn't steal anything; they just tore shit up and now you know teachers and other staff at schools who, are, who have no fucking time for this are going to spend a bunch of hours cleaning this shit up right and spend the district's going to spend money clean, you know getting the windows fixed and 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 getting more security cameras put in probably because parents are going to be like oh our kids are going to be you know uh, threatened by these vandals and it's like your kids are the fucking vandals right right yeah the parents right the, one of the parents who's like like uh guffawing the most about this it's their kids for sure it will absolutely be the loudest parents whose kids it is no absolutely because that's that's how they roll and so that's how their kids feel entitled they feel entitled so their kids feel entitled right um so again yeah no no theft here this is straight up vandalism and crimes and stupid shit and they all it's all losers here because there's no winners and i'm it's, it's, it's definitely kids students in the district probably 
It's probably students at that school, right? Like, the, or, oh, yeah, we'll get, one of the we're going to get our teachers. Yeah, we're going to get our teachers. We're going to go in the staff room and fuck shit up. Like, oh god, could you be more petty? I mean, if you want the if you want a day off or something, oh, it's it's the middle of the summer. Uh, there, there's no day off to be had. You could have just pretended you were sick. But I guess there's perhaps, no way off to be had. And perhaps the summer is the explanation. They, the kids need something to do, right? They need they should, if they were in school, if they were in class, you know, they uh, or summer school maybe. Were these, I didn't catch, crime. were these high schools? Uh, did not catch if it was mixed or whatnot. If they said charter schools, it looked like some smaller, littler kids schools so too. The one charter school was interesting because it was literally on the water. So that's like a rich kid charter school for sure. Mm, yeah. For, oh, for show a method or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a known, uh, charter company. So, um, so our, our next story, actually, I'd be curious to see who uh, voted against it because the California Republican Party is pretty fucking crazy. Uh, there's if a lot of people we've run stories in the past where people like looked in there, the deed for their house, and they found like old language that was never removed about how basically you can only sell this house to white people or it, correct. like exclusionary where you can't sell it to people of color or women in some cases can't buy the, basically anybody that was considered to be undesirable couldn't buy the house yeah. well good on the california legislature with their super majority for telling people you have to take this language out of your property deeds and here's a local a local news hit on that california has a new law requiring counties to remove racist language from property records restrictive covenants have not been enforceable in decades but are still written into the deeds of properties across the state new at 10 tonight ktvu's la monica peters live now in san jose with the change and what still needs to be worked out la monica. we found our blackest reporter to cover this <laughs> As of July 1st, anyone who finds language in a property deed that prohibits someone from buying a house because of their race can ask the county to remove it. These types of covenants were outlawed in 1948, but the discrimination that they created still exists today. She screenshotted it because I didn't believe her. Her first thing was like, wait, Asian people can't buy this house? And I was like, what? Real estate agent Ellen Hoy says she and her client were shocked when they read this clause in the disclosure documents from a home they were trying to buy. Though the clause cannot be legally enforced today, the language is still in the original deed. It specifically states that the property is not to be sold to any Asiatic, Ethiopian, Mongolian, or any person who is not white or Caucasian. It made my heart sink that this was actually in recorded documents still. Um, it made my client um, feel really like bad about it and actually put a damper on the whole buying process, even though we weren't going to proceed with this house. Hoy's client did not want to be identified, but she spoke about how seeing the covenant impacted her home buying experience. Really bad about it. Um, I felt that I was being intimidated. Um, that's how I felt. And also, I was wondering why is that article, if it's from 1960s, that, that is actually built in the disclosure, right, for me to read. California Assembly Bill 1466, proposed by Assemblymember Kevin McCarty, requires real estate agents to notify home buyers of the ban and have the language removed with county officials. All Home is one of the advocacy groups that supported the bill. It is important for folks to realize how just embedded in our laws and systems and policies these harmful practices were. And we still see, you know, racial discrimination in 
the way that properties are appraised or the way mortgages are given out in the subprime, you know, the whole subprime housing crisis was a result of basically housing discrimination. So uh, fair housing law and discrimination is very much alive. Now, all California counties are responsible for creating a process for having this language removed. And all home says that over time, they hope this language is a thing of the past. Alex, Julia. Yeah. All right. LaMonica Peters in San Jose tonight. Thank you. So <clears throat> here's hoping that there aren't going to be like companies out there paying, like charging people to do the paperwork. Here's hoping this, is, this process is free. Like free, like of course it's going to cost somebody money to do the administration, but this better yeah. be free at the point of contact for anybody who owns or is buying a home. I would imagine so. I'm guessing this will be done through county clerks and county assessors, um, whoever's responsible for the deeds, right? Um, I'm sure it'll be uh, covered. If the problem is, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, can you count on them to be as efficient as you want them to be sometimes? Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. This is great that this is getting uh, removed and this is it's being done by decree from the state. So it gets done across the board. Um, for those of you who, you know, are hip to the the square out there, you know, uh, you hear a lot about uh, with regards to, uh, you know, DEI and uh, even defunding the police movement. You hear a lot about redlining, right? You hear a lot about uh, zoning laws and, and planning laws that were embedded into our uh, policies that prevent, you know, designed to prevent and, and uh, folks of certain races from settling, owning homes and accruing wealth in certain places. Um, and it was a very real thing everywhere, uh, especially in San Jose, very much so in San Jose and the South Bay. There are communities, um, we all know them, we talk about them all the time, we'll talk about one of them later on this show, um, where uh, this was very prevalent and it, uh, the inequity inequity exists to this day, um, and the wealth inequality exists to this day, and it's uh, it, it absolutely is connected, and we're going to be working to extricate ourselves from it for a very long time. So the language is just one thing, but there's also the the long history of this policies of, of these policies that uh, has led to the space we're in now, and it's going to take a really long time to pull ourselves out of that. Uh, as well and to, to to level the to truly quote unquote level the playing field yeah um like i said there's got to be a couple monsters in the in the government that voted no on this and i'd like to not find out who they are and then exclude them from their housing situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i, I would get guarantee they're all republicans like you said democrats have a two-thirds majority in the state house says both of the state houses so uh they can and do do pretty much whatever they feel like but that also leads to you know fighting among democrats can lead to you know st uh, stalling uh, po policy as well um, but yeah, um, I, I don't mind i don't mind i don't mind in fighting over policy uh, no, i think it's fine i think fighting over policy is what we send them there for 100 and and then and uh we should have arguments over policy and over solutions right not we should necessarily have to argue over the problems because we should all you know share and, and identify the problems uh, and just argue over how we solve them. And that should be the, the, what we're really talking about. Unfortunately, most of the time in government is spent arguing over whether or not there is a problem um, in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really uh, hope that, um, you know, we, we do have a robust conversation about this and that it is ongoing. And it's not just about taking words out of deeds. 
that's great. It's symbolic. It, it means a lot to it. Uh, words matter. Um, but if there's not an underlying change in how we go about uh, our business here, um, then there, nothing really has changed in the long so, run. So, you know how I learned about redlining? Hmm. Somebody, somebody, Bill O'Reilly was talking to somebody about like these kinds of issues, like a long time ago, kind of on Fox and Bill O'Reilly's like, oh, you know, I grew up in working class Levittown and, you know, we didn't get no handouts and we were, you know, all it was just a working class. And the person who was talking to him said, do you know when they ended redlining in Levittown? (laughs) Bill O'Reilly had no fucking idea. And it was like the late seventies. Because he was Irish or something? Like, what was, yeah. how is he arguing that he was excluded? No, no, no. He was in Levittown. No, no, no. He was they, oh. that he, his, he didn't know. He, it oh. like didn't occur to him that that was an opportunity. You know, that was like a housing, pro- like not, not a, well, it was a housing project, but it was like single family homes. Housing right. project gets a bad rap for, you know, whatever reason. But it was a housing project uh, put forth by government and private en- entities and black folks were redlined out of it and people could buy houses there for a good price and they those houses went up in value because they were built well and they were it was a nice place to live and mm. it was redlined and bill o'reilly was just flabbergasted that his guest would even bring up such a thing in response to his like propagandizing about his family were good people and that's why yeah. Like they ended up well to do. And that's how I learned yeah. about redlining. Actually, it was, must've been like 2003 or 2004. I may have been vaguely aware of it before, but I, it's like how, like when I like <clears throat> took the time to look into what the fuck it was, you know? Thank you, Bill O'Reilly. That's awesome. Bill O'Reilly <laughs> is responsible for a lot of my revelations about the world in the, in the time after nine 11. Let me tell you. Sometimes the revelations come from the most unexpected sources. Producer Dave. <laughs> Most so, revelations. Uh, unfortunately, Yosemite is on fire. Also, yeah, there's all sorts of losers here. Under threat, a wildfire in Yosemite expands as it burns near Grove of Giant Sequoias. A lot going on today. Good afternoon. I'm Amanda Starantino. 545 firefighters across the state are battling the Washburn fire. It's still at 0% containment and has now burned more than 2,300 acres. Crews say the fire is spreading near the giant sequoias. CBS reporter Jonathan Viglotti is Mary Pose. What are they going to bomb the fire? Yosemite. More than two. There's like a crosshairs on the fire for anybody in the podcast audience. Heat, low humidity and difficult terrain. Some 500 firefighters are enduring brutal conditions while battling the Washburn fire, still burning out of control in a southern corner of Yosemite National Park. So obviously, with the higher temperatures, that is going to increase the fire behavior and intensity of the fire. The fire is so intense, it's creating its own weather system, causing updrafts powerful enough to launch debris into the air. One near miss with an air attack tanker was caught on radio. No, a branch went right over the top of us, pretty good size. So if we keep seeing that, uh, we might have to knock it off. I don't want to take a, a chance of busting a window on an airplane or hurting an aircraft for this. Hotshot crews are making their way throughout. We're crashing your airplane and starting another fire. Containment lines this would suck. Of iconic sequoias. I'm standing right in front of the grizzly giant, which is arguably one of the most famous trees on Earth. And we've got a sprinkler system set up uh, around it. And we're, we're trying to give it some, you know, preventive first aid, really. In Utah, record-breaking heat and high winds are fueling massive wildfires in the state, the newest being the Jacob City Fire, whose flames spread to almost six square miles with zero containment. 
Meanwhile, investigators have arrested four men they say abandoned a campfire that ignited the so-called Halfway Hill Fire in Fillmore. We need to be super cautious and aware, especially during these red flag days that we have. Uh, there's going to be many more to come. And back here in Yosemite, the Washburn fire continues to burn in areas so remote. Fire crews are struggling to get in and fight it safely this morning. In the past 24 hours, it has nearly doubled in size and stands at 0% containment. Jonathan Vigliotti, CBS News, Yosemite National Park. The community of Wawona near Yosemite has been forced to evacuate. The cause of the Washburn fire is under investigation and it's because of that fire that an air quality advisory is in effect for parts of the bay area today get ready to see some hazy skies especially in the east and north bay kpx5's mary lee explains the washburn fire in the yosemite national park is about 150 miles away from the bay area but winds are expected to carry smoke from the fire into parts of the region. Because of this, the Bay Area Air Quality Management District has issued an air quality advisory for the North Bay and East Bay on Monday. Air quality officials say even though you may see hazy skies, smoke particles are expected to stay in the upper levels of the atmosphere. Uh, so we want to take that precautionary measure, let people know that you may see some visual impacts, you know, with some smoke that's aloft. Uh, but we are expecting the air quality to be in the moderate range around the Bay Area. So uh, we want to just make sure that people are, are aware of the difference between uh, what they're seeing and what's actually going on. Air quality officials did say it is possible for some of that smoke to make its way down to the surface and affect the air we breathe. A great resource to check the air quality where you live and make sure you're safe is the Air Now Fire and Smoke map. It shows current wildfire locations and the associated smoke plumes. The Air Now Fire and Smoke map most accurately measures the density of wildfire ash and particles in the air. Yeah, I definitely think it's an expected summer thing that you're going to have hazy, smoky days in the Bay Area now. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah definitely. Unfortunately. And that was Mary Lee reporting people with... They had to remind Becky that it was unfortunate. <laughs> yes, unfortunate. Oh, yes. Unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Um, yeah, it is, it is a reality, though. And that's why there's no winners here, because it's all losers. Everyone's a loser here. I, you know, it, it really is, regardless now of how the fire starts, although generally speaking, it seems to be some jackasses who forget to put out their damn campfire or, or something like that, right? Throw a cigarette out in the in the freaking uh, dry, uh, dry riverbed. Who knows? Um, and uh, or it's PG&E with a down power line, right? Um, you don't see a whole lot of the, the lightning strike fires, but there are those do exist too. But um, the fact that we can't contain them and the fact that everything's dried out and, and, and just like tinderbox is also a result of climate change. So we're kind of fucked, producer Dave. Well, it just, it's, it's, I'm wondering with like the, 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 the heat, like what do you even need a campfire for in this kind of weather? I mean, I guess for light, you gotta make s'mores, producer Dave. Have you been camping? Come on, man. You got you got to get the the marshmallow all crispy, you know, and put that in some chocolate and some graham crackers, and you make a s'more. Well, I mean, I guess if you're going to do that, then you you get to stay till that fire's out, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you should, right? Well, that, that's how we roll when we're camping. It's not that we make the fire just for the s'more, but we do keep, do it to keep warm, but we don't do it till after dark, you know. And it's usually if it is cold enough, you know. Um, but generally speaking, if we're going to bed, we, we throw some ash on that thing and make sure it's out 
you know, before we, we pack it in for the night, you know, we're using a fire pit. We're not using just to have, you know, throwing a fire anywhere. So, you know, you got to be responsible, be, be responsible. Uh, we're, we're living in a tinderbox right now, everyone. So anybody, only you can prevent forest fires like Smokey the, the Bandit says. Smokey the Bandit. Smokey the Bear that's, Bandit. That's Smokey and the Bandit, sir. Smokey and the Bear. I see. So we're going to um, move on to who needs to get their shit together. And in this case, it is the Almaden neighborhood of San Jose. As usual. Um, but let's hear more about it. Um, they're, they're upset about the homeless. Can you imagine? It's a problem everyone agrees needs to be solved. They need to have a place for the homeless people to be. But where that place should be is the part few can agree on. They're not going to be able to solve their own homelessness, but um, I think it will have a negative impact on our neighborhood here. San Jose has more than 6,000 unhoused residents. A new plan will allow nearly 100 of those living in RVs to safely park and stay temporarily inside the Santa Teresa light rail station parking lot in a matter of months. This VTA parking lot has more than 1,000 parking spaces, and the goal is to bring 40 to 50 RVs with one to two people each. They will also have access to services. The city is teaming up with Life Moves to provide those resources and training needed to get a job and into transitional housing within 12 months. But not everyone in the neighborhood agrees it's the right place for such a program. I'm not worried about it. Okay. I'm not worried about it at all. My concern is this neighborhood, being that we already have several tiny homes in this area and the proximity. Ooh. Allison Rice is a mother and a first grade teacher and says all of the schools around here use this light rail to take students on field trips and worries about a school bus stop here. So now my daughter, you know, it's like, well, how are we going to get you to the school? I don't really want you standing out by yourself. Council member Matt Mahan is among those pushing for the program. He says it's important to fairly distribute these sites across the city, but also believes local governments need to make sure they don't become a magnet for problems. He thinks that can be done by improving code enforcement, investing in beautification, and increasing police patrols. Well, the, the bar for getting into this site will will be relatively high. Most of the people who are at this site will either be working part-time or will be on their way to working. He says similar projects have been successful in this district. This one could be up and running by fall with a promise to stay open no longer than four years. The city is currently working on a contract with VTA and the site has been moving forward, but the final vote will be taken in the next couple of months. Meanwhile, the VTA says they've worked with other cities and know what it takes to ensure this project is successful. We're requiring the city of San Jose to have a detailed operations manual that needs to be follow an on-site resident manager and security. In San Jose, Stephanie Magallon, NBC Bay Area News. That first grade teacher seems terrible. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I worry about what she's teaching our, our young ones. Um, but yeah, I'm afraid of my my young one, you know, having to walk past the homeless person. They might do crimes on them. Like that a newsflash. That is a big ass fucking parking lot. Right, and uh, that's a that's a huge parking lot with nothing going on. Right, like she's standing in an ab basically an abandoned parking lot, which, by the way, you know, um, we're all familiar with Bruce Dave. Right, it's it's adjacent to all of our our peeps. Right, we know that space. Absolutely, bring it on. You know, let let people park safely, relax. You know, have at least a little bit of security and safety um, instead of just being out wherever and trying to find a spot where they're not going to get busted or they're not going to get yanked out of their RV and have their RV impounded. Right. 
like, uh, yes, give people some safe space and to hell with these people who are like, well, I don't want it in my neighborhood. Because everyone says, well, we should have these things spread around equitably, right? And and uh, evenly. And even that first grade teacher is like, oh, we have so many. We have tiny homes. It's like, no, you don't actually. All you do is complain about the tiny home projects that are proposed in your neighborhood or the other transitional housing projects that are proposed in your neighborhood. You complain and complain and complain. And then the things don't actually happen. But all you hear is that they're coming or they're going to happen. Um, and then they don't actually happen, but you consider them happening. You consider these things thrust upon you by the city. No, the circumstances of the world thrust them upon you. And you're just being re- resistant to actually solving the problem. You're standing in the way. And I mean, not so, for nothing. The, the only person who was like compassionate was that old black lady. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm kind of, as you can tell, maybe you can tell I've been to too many public meetings. I'm a little tired of the, just the entitlement and this, this attitude of like, well, fuck it you know we we, you know we can't have that in our neighborhood you got to do something but not here um whatever just bring on bring it on bring it on bring more i would rather have people who are are trying to get back on their feet living in my neighborhood than a bunch of entitled you know karens and and nancy's and debbie's who are you know uh who already have the luck on their side and luck of the world on their side um and and they want more you know they brought up um mr matt matt mahan and it just occurred to me when I saw him that this discussion would be entirely differently if there was some different, if there was some startup that was putting RVs out there and charging people like an Airbnb so that they could yeah. have, they could live next to light rail for their commute to work. We'd be having a different conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he, if, if, Matt, if he was bringing his startup in to like set these people up with, you know, little pods of success, right. Little white, you know, why give them Wi-Fi and they have a little internet portal and they have a, 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 you know, a solar powered lamp or something. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll bring it in. We'll give them a, a big bo- a box. We'll give them a box. You donate two fifty. We'll give them a box, and they can set up their whole little, um, you know, work from home space for two hundred fifty dollars. Right. I was thinking. I was. I was thinking not for the less fortunate, but rather for the very fortunate, who like uh, <clears throat> who maybe live out of ways and would just like like maybe during the week, a couple nights a week, to just be able to stay in an RV right next to light rail, so they don't got to do that commute. You know. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty cute. Uh, they'd be down. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be down for that shit i'd put i'd put those really privileged people and the uh the unhoused together and see if they maybe the, the privileged folks learn a little something about their new neighbors but that's just me i mean if we're talking about a class a rv that's a really nice space you can actually get you, you can get some good space in a class a rv you know i don't imagine unless a lot of these people are rolling with they're probably rolling with the class c winnie that they've had for a long time and that's cool like something out of the walking dead but the, you, you roll with what you got or rec, but rec fans, if you can afford it, rec fans are like a nice class A um, Winnebago. Holy shit, you can have some really f- good times. So we're gonna stay in Almaden. Apparently, um, mm-hmm. their power's going out, going out a little bit during a heat wave, and they they don't un- they don't understand. Well, this is the penance factor of the, the the folks who are like, well, I don't want your kind here. Well, this is what you get. <laughs> and they're still complaining the dark repeatedly and tonight they say they are fed up and frustrated thousands of south bay pg e customers all of them in one neighborhood say their power just keeps going out and that the utility isn't even telling them why the latest outage happened why would how would knowing why how would knowing why help you i probably wouldn't it would give you someone to blame right it would give you someone to blame Barry's Mariam Favreau is in San Jose with what we have been able to find out about those blackouts. 
PG&E says last night's outage affected more than 3,000 customers, and some of them were still without power today. And it's not a rare occurrence. In fact, it's happening so frequently, some neighbors say they plan to get generators. For most homeowners in the Greystone neighborhood... Yeah, but then your neighbor will complain about how loud your generator is. Then what? But last night, thousands had no electricity for more than three hours. Oh, no. For four hours. Carol Jamison says she was also worried about keeping her medications cold. My insulin has to be in the refrigerator, so I don't dare open the refrigerator because I don't want the, pot, the um, temperature to go down. Others tell us they had to dump food. Neighbor Claudia no. says the power outage also knocked her Internet service offline, and she's still trying to get it restored. And that's not all. The biggest impact was probably because I had a class scheduled on Zoom and I had to cancel. PG&E says last night's outage was caused by a tree hitting a power line and triggering an automatic shutoff of nearby power lines. In a statement, the company says our enhanced power line safety settings have proven very effective in preventing ignitions that could lead to wildfires. PG&E is working hard to reduce the outages and increase the resources available to affected customers. People here say they understand the need to prevent fires, but question why they've had to face so many blackouts and if they were all necessary. PG&E confirms there have been five power outages in the area since May 25th, affecting about 1,500 to 3,000 customers each time, often leaving them in the dark for hours, which is why Carol Jamison says she's now considering shelling out $10,000 for a generator. Because I want to live my life in comfort. I don't want to have to worry about my medicine. PG&E says more than a million customers in Santa Clara County are protected by the power line safety settings. In San Jose, Marianne Favreau, NBC Bay Area News. Okay. So people didn't have to throw out food because their fucking power went out for three hours. No, not even the ice cream, honestly. That should have lasted. Well, your freezer is going to, like, most of what you go go for is going to be in your fridge anyway. But right. your, your, your freezer, if you leave that shit closed, that shit's going to be cold as fuck after, like, 12 hours even if the power's out. Well, for sure. Just don't open it. Don't, why are you going in your freezer if the power's out, right? Just leave it closed. You know, it's like a nice, it's a cooler, basically, at that point. And everything's frozen. Yeah, so uh, welcome to Almaden, where no no one's ever satisfied and no one's ever really happy. They're just one level of pissed or another. So that lady's um, going to buy that generator for ten grand, and then they're going to do a story about her neighbor who's pissed off about the fucking generator watch. Oh, fucking hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, news news break. Almaden neighbor is upset about uh, loud uh, generators, and so now there's going to be an ordinance about you can't run your generator, you know, at certain decibel levels at the property line at set, you know, after seven thirty a.m. until six p.m. or something. It'll it'll be really refined like that. It'll be nice, and it'll take a lot of community input, and there'll be it'll be community community engagement that happens. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, sad, sad. But hey, welcome to Almaden. Yeah, I don't, you know, the other thing is maybe it's interesting because, um, like, my neighborhood's pretty dense and I've only really had the power go out here due to heat, uh, like, twice mm -hmm. since I've lived here. And it's, mm. you know, it may also be that these people, if the, they may not want new power infrastructure being installed in their neighborhood either, right? They may be um, opposed to that because of all the construction noise. Maybe it looks different and looks weird. And the they radiation. Don't, don't forget the radiation. The radiation or they don't want they don't want anybody digging a trench to run the power lines underground 
Like they, you know what I'm saying? They don't, they don't want any of that. They don't, they don't want nothing. No. Yeah. I don't want that noise. I don't want all that. It it really disturbs my sleep. You know, I don't care that I get better internet and better lighting on my street. No, I, I I can't, I can't go without that extra hour of sleep. Uh, for two, for two weeks. Well, um, not for nothing though. The, not for nothing. The noise ordinances are definitely, um, uh, skewed in a certain way so that people who work a swing shift or even like just do like 11 to seven or whatever, they're going to be more impacted by this stuff. than People who get up early. Yeah. Nine to fivers are, it's all, it's all skewed towards nine to fivers. Absolutely. All of our laws are the weekend, (laughs) the quote unquote weekend. Um, well, uh, Let's move on down ballot because uh, we we got a couple more stories to cover, and I want to make sure we we get out of here and get you on to dun, 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 local love. Um, <laughs> so the uh, the Chesapeake recall is the gift that keeps on giving as far as derp. Um, so it looks like San Francisco has basically turned it into fucking Degrassi Junior High, um, and you'll know what I mean after we talk, watch this clip about what's happening in the wake of Chesapeake's recall big changes coming at the San Francisco District Attorney's Office after a recall election that attracted national attention. Uh, He rode a progressive wave, as you know, of criminal justice reform, but now one of Chesa Bodine's biggest critics is taking his place as San Francisco's new district attorney. Brooke Jenkins says the city is in a crisis. She sat down with Dawlin this afternoon to talk about her priorities and how she plans to balance reform and accountability. If I may, let me be blunt. Um, Will you be firing some people here? I have not made any personnel decisions at this time. Um, So I, I, you know. Translation, yes. Answer right now. The SF Gate uh, just came out with an article. You probably read about it. Uh, You met with your uh, senior staffers. And uh, according to them, quote, horrible, icy, uncomfortable, and insane. Those were the words used to describe that meeting. Sounds like you're already getting a little bit of resistance. I wonder how do you handle people who may not see your vision? You just have to keep trying to to make what it is clear and there will be people who don't buy in and that's fine. I'm unelected so I'm going to fire all these people that elected officials have hired over the years. Thanks for the question. I'm into this office wanting to unify us. I do not want us to be divided by who was hired by which administration. I want us to work together for the same thing which is what's best for San Francisco and keeping San Franciscans safe. For the city and county of San Francisco. Congratulations. New DA Brooke Jenkins says that's her first priority after swearing in, getting all the attorneys to work toward the changes she put in place. We will have accountability that we will no longer be a safe haven for criminal activity, um, that we are no longer indifferent to property crime and drug crime here in San Francisco. And so people will know that. We can't be treating drug sales as though it's a victimless crime anymore because there are true victims. People are dying. And so um, accountability, as I said, not B roll of people doing dope on the street. Good job. We, We should always be looking at each individual case and each offender for their particular circumstance. So I don't want to sit here and say that jail is right for every for every case or every offender. Um, but we need to be looking critically at each case to see what would be a just method of accountability in that situation. She says she'll bring back the options of cash bail, gang enhancements, and the ability to try minors as adults in extreme cases. What do you think is the biggest public misconception about you? 
that I want to return to, to some tough on crime, very, very conservative approach. I want people to truly understand that reform is personal to me, right? Fairness and equity in our system is personal to me. It is a part of why I do this work. Uh, I want it to be a diverse reflection in the courtroom, not just on the defense side, but on the prosecution side, which historically has not been diverse. She says her office will continue to work. Her predecessor started in uncovering wrongful convictions. My family has been impacted by police violence and misconduct. I'm, I am black and Latina. It, it affects my communities the most. And so it is not something that, again, is theoretical for me. It's a part of my lived experience. And so it's something that I take very seriously. And I believe that we can both have a working relationship with the police department and also explain right to them and make it clear that when there is misconduct, there will be accountability on that side too. She's already tempering expectations and asking for patience since she has to run in the November special election. It's going to take more than just me. It's going to take partnerships with other eight government agencies, with nonprofit organizations, with rehabilitative services, um, housing services, so that we can address fully what the needs of needs are of those who are struggling. Right. I asked Jenkins for her reaction on Chase Boudin leaving the door open to running against her in November. She smiled and said, "It's up to the voters." I'm Dahlen, KPIX five. You know it's going to be fucked up as if the, the major election happens again and all the people vote. They put Chessa right the fuck back in and then the same group of people fucking recalls him again. I'm telling you. Ranked choice voting is a funky thing, right? There could be a lot of people who, who like this lady who don't have any problem with this Miss, Miss uh, Jenkins um, but uh, would prefer Chessa, right? So he gets a lot of second place votes, um, a lot of first place votes and he wins like he did last time. Um, and yeah, and then folks get upset. They circulate signatures or petitions. They get the signatures. They get a special election call. Then they win, and it's a special election in San Francisco, and that's what happens. Um, and then the whole cycle repeats and wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. And eventually, maybe we move the needle. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I could I could easily see uh, Chesa running against this woman. I could see him not running against this person. Um, so, uh, but he has until August to I think figure that out. Um, in the meantime, London Breed and the political establishment are going to get behind her and uh, back her up and, and try to you know clear the field. Um, so this is probably your DA for quite a while in San Francisco. So welcome. Yeah, it. I mean, it is what it is. Um, maybe, you know, maybe she'll surprise people. Who knows? She well, certainly the, didn't. Well, she certainly didn't. She certainly wasn't making noise as I liked during that interview. But that interview was like 30 minutes long. And we got like cuts of it. I there's no way we were going to be able to run the whole interview on down ballot. So no, of course not. And, and really, the she wasn't saying she was talking a lot without saying anything, right? Uh, you know, are you going to fire anyone? Absolutely, I am. But you know, I'm not going to say that on in this interview, right? Um, yeah, shit's going to change. But a lot of the soft, you know, the softballs she was throwing out were, you know, um, uh, little olive branches to the Chester supporters and the reform supporters. You know, talking about I'm all for reform. Look at me, I'm a black Latina. I mean, of course, I'm for reform, right? Just because of who I am. Well, that's not always true. Um, but they're going to, they're obviously using that as a talking point. Like, well, how could I possibly be racist? I'm black. Well, you don't have to even, you don't have to be, you don't have to be racist to support. Like you don't have to be like a racist person to support policies that, um, like reinforce like old problems of racism. You know, you don't have to personally hold biases. That's like one of the problems with the discussions around racism is that like, you know, yeah, you don't have to personally be the kind of person who 
dislikes people of color or queer people or whatever to support policy or to enact policy that has negative impacts on those people. True. So, Very true. you know, that's, that's the problem when we, we individualize everything the way that we do as Americans that we get away from like systemic problems and, tr and like understanding what the fuck's actually going on in our society. True. And how we're all complicit in it, right? Either by being unaware and ignorant or, uh, or just being aware and just not caring all that much. I have a couple things, a couple, couple like personal policies on this stuff. One, I try to learn as much as I can. And two, I try to know when it's my time to shut the fuck up, not stick my foot out, not stick my foot into something that isn't my fucking, it isn't my business. Not, not to, not to go out there with the best of intentions, but then you end up speaking for people who are perfectly capable of speaking for themselves. Sure. Yeah. You know, knowing, no, I, knowing when, knowing when not to just jump into somebody else's lane, because I think I have like the right take. I mean, whether or not I have the right take, I don't need to be jumping in someone else's lane to scream out the take, you know? <laughs> so that's a good policy, but yeah, it's, it's this American individualism crap. It's where we just assume that because a, a person individually doesn't hold what we might see as obvious biases that they couldn't possibly support systems of corruption and discrimination. And that's just a dumb fucking way to look at the world, yeah, especially in a big city so. like San Francisco. There's a lot of people there, you know? Absolutely. It's over. It is overly simplistic, especially in a diverse area like ours. Diversity goes, uh, always. So we got one more oh. here on down ballot watch. And I think this is a uh, yet another good thing that California appears to be on the path to doing. And, in no small part because of the Democratic supermajority. We're not big fucking boosters of the Democratic Party around here, but I mean, you got two choices, right? <laughs> That's well, just the also, way it goes. And they're circling up around Gavin as well as probably a good bet for a, you know, a, a backup plan in case uh, you know Biden or Kamala should falter, right, uh, in a couple of years or in a few years. So this is more evidence of just building Gavin's national reputation. And not for nothing, I don't agree with his politics all the time, but at least he's willing to fucking fight and talk shit and like get get in the shit with people when it, when the time comes. So, absolutely. And the French Laundry is good. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. It's really good food. It's not like so. Anyway, this is a story. This is a story about the insulin shortage in California using its economic largesse to actually attempt to help people. We'll see how it shakes out in the end, though. California is once again poised to make history, vowing to make insulin available to everyone, regardless of their ability to afford it. The drug's price has skyrocketed in recent years, as many of you know, putting it out of reach for some who desperately need it. Well, to fix that, Governor Newsom says we'll take matters into our own hands by manufacturing the drug here. NBC Bay Area's Valina Jones has the details on that plan and if experts think it'll actually work. Nothing epitomizes market failures more than the cost of insulin. As insulin prices skyrocket, Governor Newsom says he has a plan to cut costs for Californians, committing $100 million so the state can make the life-saving medication on its own. Make our own insulin at a cheaper price, close to at cost, and to make it available to all. This will be a huge breakthrough. Rising prices, costing patients hundreds of dollars out of pocket is nothing new. But UCSF chief pharmacist Desi Cotis believes the state's move could encourage the limited number of drug companies currently producing insulin to bring down their prices. It's not just inflationary prices, it's egregious financial toxicity that we're seeing by manufacturers, especially when they produce 
we sold supply. The governor's plan includes 50 million to build a manufacturing facility and another 50 million to produce the low-cost insulin. UCSF diabetes expert Dr. Sunil Koliwad says his patients struggle to get insulin covered every day. That is the difference between life and death. The American Diabetes Association says with more than 3 million adults living with diabetes in California costing an estimated $39.5 billion in medical and complication expenses a year, the idea makes sense. People are going to see that health is better in the face of easier um, access to insulin. People are going to see that it's cheaper in the end. Some critics question if the state's involvement in pharmaceuticals is the right solution. While there's no timeline on the governor's plan, Coleywad believes it could be a model for other states. That alone could show, without really ruffling too many feathers, um, the benefits of um, strategic involvement of government. Valina Jones, NBC Bay Area News. That last guy with like a strategic involvement of government is like an advocate for single payer healthcare. I think that guy is like trying to walk a bit of a line, but this is in the end, it's, it's good. I mean, like if, if it, if it works out well, cause like sometimes things don't really work out, uh, you know, sometimes things don't really work out like we had expected, you know? Well, yeah, especially when it comes to implementing government programs, right? The devil is in the details. There are a lot of unintended consequences. A lot of times there's probably a lot of unintended consequences that you could have seen coming, um, but uh, didn't do anything about. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But it's uh, if any, at the end of the day, it's a good thing. And this is the way that, you know, government should work. If, if the supply chain, if the private sector is not producing um, the results, if they're not giving people uh, the bang for their buck that they deserve, then yeah, let's use our tax dollars for good purposes and, and get things, get shit done for people instead of just uh, spending it on programs that don't work, right? Like get people what they want, give the people what they want, insulin. Well, it's not really that they want it. That's a, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. Need what they need. Yes. They insulin. need it. They, they need it. it. It is not a, absolutely. it is not an optional good. It's for, an optional thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. For a great many people, something. it is not optional. You, and you do not, and if you're using it, you do not want to be on it. Yes. Thank you for correcting my, my uh, semantics there. So we're going to move on. And another thing, and it seems yeah. like the state, California state um, is doing a couple good things this week. It looks like they're going to re-examine the tax regime for those producing and selling uh, legal cannabis. And that's, I think it's good. Yes. Like, usually we try to focus on something good at the end of the day and have a palate cleanser. So let's see what we got. We begin with new tax cuts for legal marijuana growers. Yeah, the industry has been begging for relief for years, saying it can't compete with the black market. But as John Ramos reports, the state is trying to correct that Racist. problem. But so far, no one seems very no one seems very happy about it. For a long time now, those in the cannabis business have been pleading for tax reform to keep from going broke. Well, it's here now, but it's hard to find anybody who's satisfied with it. It is my goal. Uh, to look at tax policy to stabilize market. When Governor Newsom announced that at the beginning of the year, it was a welcome relief to those in the cannabis industry. But the reform bill he signed on Thursday didn't quite get the response he was hoping for. The people that are playing by the rules honestly are getting the F word. They are getting messed up. 
Reese Benton opened her Posh Green Cannabis Boutique in San Francisco's Bayview District in 2017, and she says she's regretted the decision to operate legally ever since. She's supposed to pay an excise tax of 15%, but this invoice from her distributor shows she paid $600 on $2,300 worth of product. That's 26%. Add the city's sales tax, and her total rate is nearly 35%. The reform plan doesn't lower her tax rate. It simply collects the money directly from Reese instead of her distributor. She isn't surprised that the illegal market is thriving right now. When people tell us, oh, it's cheaper on the street, and what can I say as a, as a retailer? Because I know it is cheaper on the street. So where is the tax reduction? The state has suspended a cultivation tax to growers of $161 per pound. That number was set when the price was near $1,500, but now it's selling for as low as $300 a pound, eating up more than half the product's value. Johnny Casali owns Huckleberry Hill Farm in Humboldt County. He's grateful the tax has been stopped, but now he says the middlemen and retailers who are also hurting are already demanding he lower his price because of it. Between the two of them, um, that money will be split up and, and figured out, and it won't ever go to the consumer, and it's not going to ever come to the farmer either. It may seem unfair, but remember, the idea of recreational cannabis was sold to the voters as a source of funding for public programs. Nicole Elliott, who heads up the Department of Cannabis Control, says the state can't forget that commitment as they try to prop up the market. It's a balancing act, right? And I think that the state, uh, what you see in this tax reform package are mechanisms by which the state is trying to continue to fulfill that promise. Elliot says the sign of any good compromise is that no one walks away totally happy. That certainly describes California's cannabis industry today. In San Francisco, John Ramos, KPIX5. That cannabis grower says the real problem is that the state has issued too many cultivation permits, which has flooded the market and driven down prices. He says that's why the taxes are so crippling to the industry. But that was one of the things that was going to that was being sold to us too, is the price was going to come down because like a lot of legal operation, like a lot of people were going to go legal. That was also yep. sold to us during the push for legalization. Yeah, the, I mean, the base price is down, right? Like if you look at just the base price from uh, even from the legal dispensaries, it's far below you know what we used to, we're used to paying on the street for you know high quality cannabis, right? And yet all these taxes and fees and everything else, which is fine like that's that's part of what we're trying to get out of this right but could be applied in different ways and more equitably and 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 not necessarily at the levels it's being applied right everyone's trying to get their piece of the pie right the state the feds the the, well, the state at least the state the locals right every local agency is trying to get their little cut of it and um what's happening is you're just getting more prices piled on the consumer and these small uh, distributors and mom and pop can, uh, dispensaries are not going to be able to survive and compete with like the big, you know, med men and other folks out there who are just doing this on scale. Um, so it's set up for them. Like anyone could have seen it coming, right? Like the legalization of anything is set up for people that have the infrastructure to handle it. Um, and if anything, the, you know, RJ Reynolds and companies like that would be smart to pivot to cannabis and try to get cannabis, you know, legalized at the national level because they're the ones with the infrastructure to take it over and to make billions of dollars um, by just dominating the industry, right? They would they would uh, be be front and center if this shit was legalized nationwide. So it behooves them to do it. I, I'm amazed they haven't seen the business opportunity. But um, yeah, no, it's it's not surprising that's happening here. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't like the idea of <clears throat> like I don't like the idea of like charging taxes per like weight measurement. I think mm-hmm. like when I pay sales tax on an item, it's a percentage of the sales price. Yeah. And when yeah. I pay taxes on my income, it's a percentage of my income. And I feel like yeah. <clears throat> I feel like just switching to that kind of regime would solve a lot of the problems and it might even um might even drive prices down a little bit more and let's well, uh, who gets charged who gets charged the tax to is really important as well where the tax is being levied at what point at what stage in, is the excise tax being levied at what stage is the sales tax levied right that's that's also really important like who has to pay the bill at the end of the day because this could be spread out amongst the it should be spread out amongst the you know the the grower the uh you know, the, the middle person, the harvester, the distributor, right? Um, right. And then that, be, that, that would also, doing that would also incentivize uh, maybe getting rid of some of the middle middle people in some of the sure. cases, some of the brokers, because then you're only More paying twice. You're only paying maybe on the production and the sale instead of the production, the sale and the sale. And so it would incentivize right. like more direct relationships between producers and retailers, yeah. which is always yeah, generally, generally good for the customer, actually, when it's a Very direct relationship. So between the producer and the retailer. Generally good for the customer. Choices are always good. Choices are always good. Well. Yep, read us out, thank, buddy. Read us out. Well, thank you for a, <laughs> thank you for a really uh, a long but in, informative docket and for sticking with us, everyone. Listener, thank you for listening and for downloading the podcast. Please uh, share it with your friends and get it on your podcatcher of choice. Viewer, please keep watching. Subscribe on Twitch and go to echoplexmedia.com to find out more about how you can support this amazing program and everything we do here. Please remember to wear a mask, to get vaccinated, to get boosted. If you want to wear pants, that's cool, but it's totally optional. And this is Audible Smoke. Have a great Tuesday evening. Enjoy local love. To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing Queen that get the fuck up on and rock the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car To smoke another one what? And another one Woo! Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band.
of the joint now who's got my lighter Stoner E of course shouldn't you be inside I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is is that I don't think logically Stoner E take you on a psychedelic odyssey Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rocky the roller, you're the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppily We do what we want, what we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band and enjoy the band We do what we want, what we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band If you like what we're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3, even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com slash support.